Scene 5. Florence's Nightingale. Shade Gap, five miles northwest of Tuscarora Mountain, Frigg's Day, Matins, midnight, 24th of March, 1283. The medieval new day did not start until sunrise, eve of the Feast of the Annunciation, New Year's Eve. Two reindeer fly fearless and fleet through the gloom of the moonlit forests around Tuscarora Mountain. The rush of wind startles a pair of turtle doves from their roost. Having no mind for their cooing, the two dark figures cling to their swift steeds. As the damp of the river fog drifts over them silently, only the sparks of their steel-shod hooves against pebbles signal their approach to the goblin ritual mounds overlooking the shade gap. The midnight hour is close at hand, and goblins lurk. Their demon gods haunt the barren rock face in search of blood. A foul stench wafts through the air and slides down the stony, cold hills at the unwelcome visitors. A savage place. Unholy and disenchanted as ever the waning moon has spied upon. The evil sanctuary covered in scratched boulders and spilled blood. Here, the two panting reindeer come to a stop. Chilled, but unafraid, Florence dismounts and pulls from her saddlebag a small, cloth-wrapped crate. Tucking it under her arm, she crawls through the underbrush, closing in on the goblins dancing to the sounds of their drums. Her dress has ribbons and filigree that the brambles and thorns shred as she moves. Though the night assails her comeliness, and Ganyan follows after her like a sailor after a siren's song. He takes one peek ahead and tugs at her hen. Oh, look at that! They're human! It's not a problem for elves to meddle with. Let's go home! Amid the tattooed and roughhousing goblins, a half-dozen humans wallow in captivity. Stripped down to their undergarments, they are cuffed with rough vines to a line of wooden stakes. Gruff goblins prod and poke at them with stone-tipped spears. Glib goblinesses chatter and chant over them in preparation for sacrifice to the goblin god of death and conquest. Florence doesn't back down. There's a choice we're making by being here, and I'm saving those lives. And Ganyan starts to whimper. What about all those goblins? What can the two of us do against so many? Florence will hear none of it. She scolds him. We can't just let the other races in our land keep dying a pointless death at the hands of those goblins. Not pointless at all. That goblin chieftain's got a sacrificial dagger with the phoenix talon blade. I'd say their deaths will be very pointy. Coward. And Ganyan's voice squeaks despite all his efforts to keep it low. What is it with you, Mademoiselle Florence? Isn't being a fairy tale princess good enough? You're rich, gorgeous, and powerful. You don't have to pretend you're some kind of hero as well. So you're saying I'm not really a hero? Yes, no. What I'm saying is, to me, you're more than a hero. You're a, a, a superhero. But we can't just ask all those goblins to stop sacrificing their captives to their god, Poo-Poo, so why risk our lives? It's Poodoo. They worship Poodoo. And you're right, we can't tell them to stop the bloodshed. But Poodoo can. If a singing nightingale flies over their ritual, they believe Poodoo has sent them a sign to release their captives alive. Here's the nightingale. She pulls the cloth covering off her crate and reveals it to be a small cage with a nightingale inside. How do you know it's going to fly in the right direction and sing on cue? I don't, Florence looks at the nightingale. 
But I have to believe there's a higher power out there guiding nature and protecting the lives of the innocent. She opens the cage door. The nightingale flies out and swerves off in the wrong direction, without a peep. Ganyan raises his eyebrows. Well, that certainly was anticlimactic. It's really been a treat playing the good guy with you, Mademoiselle Florence, but I don't need to be an auger to tell you it's time for us to head home. I'll saddle up Prancer and Donner. So you're saying you're not really a good guy? Nope, not with all those bloodthirsty goblins around us and nothing but a few human lives at stake over there. I'll pass on the whole good guy thing, thank you. In general, my personal philosophy is to stay neutral between good and evil. In all of life's straits, I look to steer the middle course. When facing the perils of the high seas, I'm a buccaneer of mediocrity. Armed and harmless is the motto when my flags unfurl. A middling champion for moderation, that's me. I uphold all high ideals, but fanatically adhere to none. Oh, Monsieur Engañon, you are ridiculous. If you're going to leave me here alone, do me a favor and cause a big distraction on your way out. Maybe I could sneak up close enough to cut their bonds. Impossible, Mademoiselle Florence. I could never abandon you. Instead, I urge you to join me in the comfortable median, and together we'll live a long, happy life. Maybe we'll even rule over the fire elves as husband and wife with your father's help. Don't be ridiculous. Are you going to cause that distraction or not? Sorry, my love, but I can't oblige you on this one. It goes against my principles. What principles? You sound so indifferent to the sufferings of others that I'd believe you've already filled out an application to become an evil villain. You'll find most evil villains are really sensitive, caring people deep down inside. They've just got a lot of angst to deal with. What does angst mean? Whether you realize it or not, you know the meaning of angst. Umpire Drayton exiled your mother, and your father only gathered up enough political clout to fight back seven years too late. You grew up unfairly deprived of a mother and spoiled by your overworked father with privileges you haven't earned. You're moonlighting as a do-gooder to make up the difference. I'd say that same angst could push you to commit some evil villainy, given the right conditions. Monsieur Engañon, leave. I'll do this by myself. Engañon grabs her hand and kisses it. No! Not without you. You know I just can't stop loving you. She pulls her hand away. Hey, no ring, no touchy. Besides, how do I know you'd still love me if my father lost all his wealth and political connections? See that? That's the angst talking now. You're well on your way to becoming an evil villain after all. Never. Never say never. You just said it twice. And Ganyan sighs with a playful smile. I'm just not going to win with you, am I? Turning away from him, Florence starts sneaking in closer to the captives and whispers, No. Nay. Never. Ah! And Ganyan screams. She looks back to shush him, quiet, but he's gone. Monsieur and Ganyan, are you all right? Florence scans the forest anxiously. All the while, she doesn't hear the footsteps creeping up behind her. She takes three paces forward. Under the moonlight, she sees a sight that almost stops her heart. She tries to scream, but terror takes the sound before she makes it. A goblin lurker grabs her neck and drags her up the rocky mound until they reach the ululating goblinesses around the human captives. They pipe to the foul spirits ditties of no tone and dance with daffodils in their hair. The goblin lurker hands Florence over to the green-skinned ladies who snatch her up and start picking off her jewelry, pouches, belts, boots, and knives. After they've rough-handled her in every way possible, they tie her to a stake near the human prisoners. She is both relieved and disappointed that Ingenion is not with them, 
Perhaps he's safe, or maybe he's dead. Oh, and Ganyan, where art thou? Forgetting her own discomfort at the tight bindings, her mind goes to work coming up with an escape plan for herself and the humans. Suddenly, she sees him. Ganyan's plight ties a knot in all the threads she's been working out. Across the stony sacrificial mound, just behind the giant slate altar, goblins are crowding around a black cauldron filled with steaming white pigment. They are dipping in Ganyan's right foot into the white pigment and placing it on their foreheads. Florence shrieks. What are they doing to him? To her surprise, one of the human captives answers her in elvish runic. Do not fear, Mademoiselle Elf. They do him little harm. They take unto themselves the mark of the feet. Goblins like to collect a white footprint on their right hand or forehead from as many light elves as they are able to capture. It is a token of piety and allegiance to their god, Pudu. Though she'd said her words in Eldric, the dialect exclusively spoken by fire elves, she switches to runic, the language common to all high-educated light elves. How comes it about that thou speakest runic? The human replies, I am a master silversmith. Whilst I was still a journeyman, I trained with the sea elves of Martha's Vineyard. Any silversmith in Vinland of worth speaks some elvish runic, just as any ironsmith of worth speaks at least some dwarvish runic. Florence is so amazed at how well this human speaks runic that she forgets about Nganyan momentarily and asks the human, Who art thou, and how hast thou fallen into the clutches of these goblins? Master Paul Revere of Boston, whilst I was stationed at Fort William Henry, we were besieged by the Heron clan and some Frankish insurgents. We surrendered under terms that we should be allowed our weapons. Certain Heron warriors, however, broke the treaty and demanded our weapons. Those who resisted perished. We all ran for our lives, but soon after reaching the forests, I was captured by goblins and brought here. May I in turn ask thy name, and how comes it that thou hast fallen captive, Mademoiselle Elf? I came here with a nightingale to rescue thee and thy companions. Goblins release their captives if a passing nightingale sings. Our bird flew awry. My deepest regret, fair lady, that thy plan miscarried, and that now thou sharest our fate. Florence leans her head back on the stake in deep frustration and says, If only I knew some witchcraft to recall that wayward nightingale. The best witchcraft is a mind tuned to nature, replies Paul Revere, and he starts to whistle. Florence marvels at how perfectly his whistling imitates the intricate songs of a nightingale. The goblins hush each other and cock their necks, peeking anxiously at the night sky. Miracle of miracles, Florence's nightingale flies in and lands on top of Paul Revere's stake, chirps out a quick ditty, then flies off. A long pause follows. But then a large goblin, whose sun-dried, dark green skin has enough tattoos, body piercings, and war trophies to leave no doubt that he is a renowned warrior chieftain, bellows in triumph. All the goblins on the sacrificial mound overlooking Shade Gap break into a new flurry of chanting, hopping, and chest-beating. The party breaks up soon enough, and the yawning goblins pack up their goodies, including all of Florence's jewelry, and wander off. All the captains remain tied hand and foot to their stakes, except in Ganyan. The white pigment on his foot was hot enough to scald the skin from his knee down. He writhes with pain in such grandiose gestures as not to notice that he is free. Florence calls out to him, Monsieur Nganyan, are you all right? Speak to me. He courteously replies, Ouch! Can you find a sharp object to free us with? 
He stops groaning and pulls out her silver dagger with a smirk. You mean like this? A goblinus was toting it around, and I figured you'd want it back. Florence can't hide her joy at his craftiness. Yes! Monsieur and Ganyon, your sleight of hand has saved the day. You're my hero. Quickly, free us before these goblins change their minds. I can't walk, but I can toss it to you. So I can free the humans like a hero? How sweet. He tosses it within reach of her bare feet. Handling it deftly with her toes, Florence slices away the vines tying her to the stake. She then frees Paul Revere and the other humans, but Nganyan continues to sulk on the ground. She offers him a hand. You big sissy, I'll fetch Donner and you can just ride him home. Nganyan stays put and starts to tear up. His lips pucker like a child whose candy just got stolen. No! We can't go back! Not like this! Our jewelry is gone, our clothes are raggedy, and, and look, my foot is all glopped up and ugly. Paul Revere walks up and hands her the silver dagger. He thanks her in elvish runic. Thou hast our eternal thanks, Mademoiselle Elf, for saving our lives. If there is anything we can do to repay, Ingenian butts in. Actually, thou couldst get us nude clothes and some subtle but elegant jewelry. Florence stuffs a rag in Ingenian's mouth and walks over to him. What my companion means to say is that it is highly shameful for elves to be so disheveled. To walk among our fellow elves in tattered garments and lacking jewelry is no less shameful to us than if thou had to walk among thy peers with no clothes at all. Paul Revere nods thoughtfully. Yes, indeed, I have learned as much about ye elves. Never fear. Whilst at Fort William Henry, many of the soldiers had sticky fingers, so I buried three stashes of silver wire and smithing tools. We shall find one, and I shall smith thee simple but elegant jewelry to get thee home without disgrace. Delirious with gratitude, Florence bows so deeply she nearly kisses the ground at his feet. And Ganyan objects in Eldrick. Hey, you don't have to worship him like that. He's just paying us back for saving his life. Florence gives him a sharp look. Monsieur and Ganyan, he is the one who saved our lives by whistling to my lost nightingale. Now he is showing greater concern for our well-being than his own. In my mind, that makes him the truest hero of us all. And Ganyan shrugs. Yeah, he's a nice guy, but it's not like the fate of Vinland is riding on his shoulders. Perhaps, replies Florence. Now, Master Revere, how shall we reach these three stashes of thine? One is by land and two are by sea. Florence replies, let us go by sea. My mother was a pirate queen, and I yearn for the open waves. Though I love reindeer, I have no more taste for midnight rides.